I'll be reading 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message which to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Good to have some visitors with us. You are our honored guest. And we'll be finishing our series this morning on the subject of God's grace. And we've looked at God's grace in general and how God blesses us that when we are weak, then we are strong in Him. And last week we looked at the extent of God's grace and what He has done for us. That is the definition of God's grace. How we are all dead in our sins. Today we look at a very fascinating subject on the extent of God's grace in the sense of many have been misusing His grace. They have been twisting God's forgiveness to suit them. And we need to go to the Scriptures, go to the Bible, and listen to what God says about His grace. Many today will say, well, God's grace will cover this, and I can live the life that I want to live. Many today will say, I'm a good person, good people go to heaven, uh, therefore I'm going to heaven, and they don't realize that they are excluding God, keeping it a part of it, claiming work salvation. And the Bible says you're not saved by your own works. And you cannot boast of your own salvation. It is God's grace that saves you. And we don't want that as well. This morning we look at the subject uh, of that abuse uh, that ends up hurting us eternally. And it's something that we need to be able to defend and to stake a, take a strong stance upon. We live in a world that claims identities. This is how I identify myself. This is who I claim to be and that the world will say, this is who I am, and you need to be tolerant and accept that. But they don't offer that in return. The world wants everyone to accept them as they identify themselves, but they will not accept how God has made them in his image. The world will tell us that you need to accept them however they identify themselves or claim, whether it's about their gender or their sexuality or however they want to live from, the next day, from this day to the next day. But they won't do the same thing for us as Christians. They won't say or accept our identity in Jesus Christ and who he is and the salvation that he has given. And this is not to pit us against them. It's simply to say this is the world in contrast to us, putting pressure on us, trying to deceive us. And the deception that we're hearing here, we don't need to return. We don't need to be saying, okay, you got a point there because there isn't one. God has made us and he's created us in a way in which he desires us and made us in his image to live in a way in which he has designed and given us a purpose. And our identity must be found in him. The world wants us to accept the way that they live, but they will not accept the way Christians live. But that will not change us. As Christians, we will not compromise. We will not alter God's word or move. I ask you this morning, can you see how the deceitfulness has hardened people's hearts? 
and what we've seen right here. When we look at the world, we see that. We see this concept of, I want you to accept how I choose to be. I want you to accept the morality as I determine and, and the group of people around me. Notice the I, the me, where I'm getting my beliefs from. It's all from me and it's not from God and the one who created me and has a purpose for me. That's a hardening of heart. We, we know as Christians that we're doing the same thing. When we start to say, well, I think this, and we start to judge our own brothers and sisters in Christ or the world by our own opinions. I think this, I think that. Instead of going to the Scriptures and looking at, at the passages there. Here's the truth. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We're all sinners. We've all done wrong. And last week, we looked in Ephesians chapter 2. We see very clearly that we're all dead in our sins and trespasses. We are in need of a Savior, one who would die for us. And I think we can make that plea to the world today. This is what we see in the world, right? We see a world today where people have their own moral code, but they can't seem to keep it, right? We see that from the very beginning, where I want you to accept me for what I identify as, but I'm not going to accept you. They can't keep their own moral code. They become hypo hypocrites. When we live apart from Christ and we live in the way the world does, we live as hypocrites. We claim that we have some kind of morality, that we live in some kind of altruistic way apart from God. That's what the world says, but there's no truth in it. There's nothing true about it. No one can keep their own moral code. I know I've talked to atheists. I've talked to skeptics before, and they say, well, I believe this is right and this is wrong, and I, I ask them. I love asking this question. Have you ever, have you kept your, your moral code, your standard perfectly? And every single time the answer I get back is, no, I have not. No, I haven't kept it. Romans chapter 2 says that even those who don't have the law have a law by nature, and they can know what is right and from wrong. And yet it says in verse 16, they will be judged by the gospel of Christ. There's still a standard outside of them, an objective moral standard in God. People can, can and do rationalize evil. And so you can say, I have my own beliefs of what is right and wrong. Or a lot of people today as Christians will say, I believe the Bible and it tells me what is right and wrong. confirms to me what the truth is. But how do we end up sinning? Well, we end up doing it how? We rationalize it and we justify it and say, well, i got to make an exception here. Nobody's tempted in like I am. Nobody's facing the things that I am. Uh, or my generation has it different from the other generation. And so there must be some room for me to do whatever I want. In Luke 16 and verse 15, Jesus says that what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. We want to be very careful that we are not compromising God's truth. See, we can talk to the world and say today, you have your own moral code, can you keep it? No. Do people rationalize and they twist what is right and wrong? Yes, I see that. People do that. Uh, does lawlessness and sin lead to more lawlessness and sin? Yes, I can see that as well. So what does the world need? We need a Savior. Humanity is guilty, dead in trespasses, and obviously in need of a Savior, obviously in need of a gift from our Creator and God, and that is grace. While we look and we can observe that many people will twist and alter God's grace and they will try to abuse it, they'll make claims to heaven despite the fact that they are sinners and that on the day of judgment, every one of us are going to stand without Christ. We stand guilty. Only with Christ can we stand pure. You have your Bibles this morning. Let's look at our scripture that Garrett read for us. So if you have your, your Bible, look with me in 1 John. 
And we're looking at the extent of God's grace. This is here, we see it very clearly. That God will not save us when we're in fellowship with sin, with evil, when we're sharing and having a part in that. The extent of God's grace is that the blood of Christ washes away all of our sins. Not some of them, not a certain kind of them, but all of them as long as we walk in the light. That's the extent of God's grace. And we read it right here. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. And we're going to see some reasons why about this in a moment. But listen to what John says. The Holy Spirit speaking through him. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In other words, there's no sin, there's no evil in God. He is light. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, if we say we have fellowship with God and we walk in sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. And John's going to say that over and over again in 1 John 2 and verse 4. He says, anybody who says that they are following God and yet they live in sin, they're a liar. He says they're not telling the truth. He says the same thing in chapter 3 as well. Look at verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light, and some people will think, well, that means I have to be perfect. Well, look, John's going to cover that in a moment. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of all of our sins, not some of them, all of them, if we walk in the light. And some would say, well, I have to be perfect. No, you have to walk in diligence and following God. And that is, what does it mean to walk in light? It means that I am not practicing a sin. I am not willfully, deliberately living in sin. And the Bible tells us how to overcome sin. Make no provision for it. Romans 13, 13 and 14. The scriptures tell us, don't walk after the flesh, but focus on Christ. Set your mind on Christ. Romans 8, verses 5 through 6. I told you before, when I was 12 years old, I told my dad, I said, Dad, I figured it out how to keep from sinning. If I think about God and Christ all the time, I don't sin. And I stay away from temptation. Well, that's what the Bible says. We want to be wrapped up. We want to give ourselves completely over to God and give ourselves as a living sacrifice. And so the scripture says, as long as we walk in the light, we're constantly being cleansed of our sins. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So here's the other part of the lie. You can't say that I can live in darkness and my sins are going to be cleansed. That doesn't work that way. You're not in fellowship with God. On the other hand, you can't say, well, I'm walking in the light and I've never committed a sin or I've never done anything wrong. He says, you can't say that as well. That's an untruth. That's a lie. You're just deceiving yourselves. You need to realize when you sin. Why? Because then you need to turn to your father and do this. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins to who? To God. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's our God. You want to see God's justice You want to see his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness? You want to see his faithfulness toward us and to forgive us of our sins? There it is. That I walk in the light and that when I do sin, I confess it in prayer to God. And the scriptures say all of that unrighteousness will be cleansed. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So again, John affirms that. I've given you this illustration as well. As Christians, when we are baptized, we become Christians, and we're following Christ. It's often this picture of grace is like standing under a waterfall, 
If you're standing in a waterfall and you pick up mud and you put it on you, what happens? It washes away. But if I step away from Christ, if I, stop, I step out into darkness, away from that cleansing flow of God, and I'm by myself and I like the feel of the mud, so I don't want it washed away, essentially. I don't want my deeds exposed before God. And I put mud on myself, it's not going to wash it away. It's just going to stick. I asked the picture, an illustration for you to understand this walking in the light and a constant cleansing. This is the extent of God's grace. This is what I see here. Again, only liars claim they can walk in darkness and have fellowship with God who is light. Only liars today will say, I can live however I want to, and God will save me. He has to. He's obligated to because I'm a good person. Only liars say that. Christ's blood cleanses us of all sins for those who walk in the light, and God is in the light. We must follow him and look for him in his word. That's where the grace is. Those who walk in the light must confess their sins to God, who is just to forgive and cleanse of all unrighteousness. I, I think that's beautiful, the concept of all sins being washed away. Last week, we looked at a passage, Colossians 2 and verse 13, that talks about when we're baptized, we rise up in the newness of life. But when we're baptized, it says it washes away, that baptism, in that point that God washes away all sins, all trespasses. And the word for forgiveness there, for forgiving, right there in that passage, is the word for grace in its verb form. Charizomai, from the Greek word charis, for grace. That's God's grace and his love and action. You ever heard someone declare that a loving God will accept them as they are? We hear that. You hear believers say that. That God knows that I couldn't make that first marriage work. And so for an unscriptural reason, I divorced and remarried. And then I couldn't make that one work for a divorce and a remarried. And God knows that and he accepts it. And what they're essentially saying is I don't have to repent. I don't have to walk in the light. We hear people talk like that. We hear people say, well, God knows that I'm addicted to this sin and I continue to give into it. Instead of seeking out our brothers and sisters in Christ to help us and to pray for us, we continue to live in it. We see that. And what is the effect of such a claim to grace? When you make those kind of claims, the Bible says exactly what happens. We become liars. We deceive ourselves. We draw ourselves and put God away from us. We cut ourselves off from the cleansing blood of Christ. When we, we do that, and that's the state of much of the world today, those who say they believe in Christ and they believe in God, but they don't follow him, they don't believe in such a way that it affects them and changes them. And what we see about God's grace in the scriptures is that it does affect us. When you realize what God has done for you and how he's cleansed you from sin, you don't want to go back to the sin. You don't want to have any part of it. I'm done with that. It's evil. If I stumble, I will repent, I will confess my sins, and I'll keep walking in the light because I don't want any part of it anymore. I love what God has done for me. I love that he has created me, and I'm so thankful for what my creator has done, that he sent Jesus for me. And I'm so thankful for Jesus and that he died for me. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit that he's given me truth to guide me in this life. And if we believe as believers, if we continue in sin, will grace abound? You know the answer to that. The Bible mentions it more than once. And this is what, what Paul says. Look with me in Romans chapter 6, 1 through 4. Paul's been talking about God's grace and what Jesus has done for us and cleansing for sin, uh, our sins away as believers. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
In Greek, the word right there by no means means literally this cannot be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We can't. The point of baptism is that we've repented and that we've confessed our faith in Christ and we've been baptized, burying that dead person and rising up in the newness of life. There's no reason for us. There should be no desire in us to continue to do that. And Paul says that. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we might too live in the newness of life. To live in the newness of life is to live a new life apart from sin. We will not go back to it. Last week, we looked at Titus chapter 2, and Paul says to Titus, God's grace teaches us and it trains us. When I really understand what my God has done for me and what Christ did for me on the cross and the fact that he rose from the dead, that should motivate us and compel us. I renounce sin. I renounce ungodliness. I renounce worldly passions. I don't want it anymore. God save me from it. At 1 John 2, John says again, those who continue to sin truly do not know Christ. And we wonder, why am I struggling with this sin? Paul relates. In Romans chapter 7, he says, the thing that I want to do, I don't do. The thing that I don't want to do, that's what I do. And he knows that struggle, and many of us are familiar with it. He says, here's the answer. It is a mind that is set on Christ. Romans chapter 8 tells you, first 15 verses. And we set our mind on the Spirit, on His revelation, and we change the way that we think. And that should change our hearts. And fundamentally cause us to stand apart from sin. John makes it very clear. He says, those who practice sin, who continue to sin and continue to willfully and deliberately do it, are of the devil. He doesn't hide it. When I look at my life and I see something like that, I know the truth from what God's Word has told me. If I continue to do this, I'm of the devil. I'm not of Christ if I continue to sin. And listen to what John says in the latter part of that verse. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. To put an end to that, for us to have a conviction. I've been saved from it. I don't want any part of it. I'm not going to be loyal to the devil. He didn't die for me or do anything for me. He is a liar from the beginning. He is a murderer. John chapter 8. His whole role has been to deceive man. Christ came to overcome him and destroy him, and he has. He's brought him to an end. His conclusion is inevitable. Satan will be cast into hell. In Romans chapter 6, 15, 18, we have another similar passage from the beginning of Romans 6. And he says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? What's the answer to that? Certainly not. By no means. This cannot be. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, You are slaves of the one of whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Choose who you're going to be a slave to. It's either God or the devil. It's either righteousness or sin. And he says this in the context of grace. If you've been saved by grace and you want to walk in it and you're faithful to the one who's forgiven you, you're going to follow him. He says this, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching of which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. We're slaves of righteousness when we're obedient to that standard of teaching. 
In some translations, it says that pattern of doctrine. And that pattern of doctrine in Romans chapter 6 is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel by which we've died, we've been buried with Christ in baptism, and now we've risen up to live in a new life in the expectation of one day living an eternal life and being risen again with Christ. We need that hope. Don't be deceived. This morning I urge you not to. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 10, another passage that makes this point very clear before we conclude this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. Look in verses 26 to 31. 26 to 31. We want to ask the question is, when do people begin to change and to turn away from claiming grace for willful sin? Something has to change with us. There has to be conviction within us. There has to be godly sorrow. But again, before we consider that thought a little bit further, I want you to look at this passage here that again affirms what we've seen so far. We cannot continue deliberately sinning. The Hebrew writer says this in verse 26, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's the extent of God's grace. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? Notice this is what you do when you continue to sin. You trample the Son of God underfoot and has profaned the blood of the covenant. You profaned and, and treated Christ's blood and how he died on the cross as a little thing. You profaned it. You've defiled it. And then to really tie into our lesson, what's he say here? He says, you have profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. You've outraged the spirit by what you have done because you continue after having knowledge of the truth to sin. And then Paul gives a warning here. He says, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so Paul urges us, fear judgment. Fear hell if you live outside of his grace and you try to live in darkness and then claim eternal life apart from him. You can't do that. If you deliberately sin, you've lost the sacrifice of sin. You've gone outside of it. And you can come back. You can repent and change. This is what we see here. There's no sacrifice for deliberate sins. Judgment and fire await such adversaries, and a deliberate sinner tramples the Son of God, profanes the blood of the covenant, and outrages the spirit of grace. This morning, I want you to see this. There are blessings in God's grace, but we need to know the extent of it. Know the limitations in the sense that God wants all, and he, he desires that all people be saved. He's patient with all to come to salvation. 2 Peter 3, and verse 9 he says that he desires all to come to repentance and to be saved. He's patient with us. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul says that God desires that all people be saved. He wants us that. He wants us to be saved. And this is what grace does for us. When we understand what God's done for us, it increases our love. The Bible makes it clear. Jesus said this. When you realize how much God has forgiven you, your love for him will increase. We want to grow in that. We want to gain strength through God's grace. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1, because of his grace, we are strengthened. Hebrews 13 and verse 9, Paul says this, do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened 
by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We want to be committed to God's grace. It strengthens us. And we see this in God's grace. We see his nature. We see his love and righteousness. And throughout the book of Romans, Paul says, here's the love of God demonstrated that Jesus died while we were yet sinners. Romans 5 and verse 8. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. He says, God demonstrated his own righteousness that he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. That he's a propitiation for our sins. We need to stand in awe. Thank God for those blessings. I want them and I want to follow I want to follow him. So we finish today. I hope that we are thanking God for the grace that he's given us. That he's given us a way to be saved, to escape this world full of sin where people can't keep their own moral code. The world is full of moral corruption and needs a savior. And I think that's very clear. I think it should be clear to the world as well. And so God, the word of God, came in the flesh full of grace and truth. Only the God of Christ has loved us while we were yet sinners. You will not find salvation in any other path. No other worldview or philosophy. It is only in Jesus Christ. Forgiving grace demonstrates God's nature. And we saw this last week in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. We see God's great love. We see his mercy and his kindness. And while we are sinners, instead of just wiping and cleansing the whole earth with fire, he's chosen to save us by sending his son to die for us. And for this reason, we should thank God and the grace of God should compel us. I don't want any more a part of that sin. I'm going to change. Does God's forgiveness still affect us? That's your challenge for this week. Ask yourself that question. Does God's grace affect me? Has it caused me to put away evil, to follow him with all my heart, to love him as much as I can because God has given his only son for me? Scriptures continue to encourage us that the word of God that we have is the word of grace. And Paul says in Acts 20 and verse 24, he says, For this person I came to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And listen to what Paul says to the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20 and verse 32. I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, to the word of his grace, to the scriptures, to the truth that's presented in, in the Bible that we have which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You want eternal life and you want that inheritance is only found in His grace and only according to the word of His grace. I encourage you this morning, if you're not a Christian, become one. Judgment day is coming. And on that final judgment, without Christ, you will stand guilty before God. Only with Him does He wash away your sins that you can stand right before Him. I urge you, Believe in his grace. Follow him and renounce ungodliness and sinful passions. If you're not a Christian this morning, you need to obey the gospel. Be baptized and rise up into the newness of life. We'd love to study with you more. If you need prayers and encouragement, if you need to obey the truth, we encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.